Well, good morning, Word of Life Church. How are we doing? Everyone glad you made it to church today? Come on, those of you online, you're glad to be here. Come on, if you are, say amen in the chat. I don't know about you, but I think today uh, that was exceptional worship. What do you think? I mean, was that just a great time of worship? Those of you at home, I'm sure that it was exactly the same for you, but right here in person, I know it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, And so I'm delighted to be able to come share something with you here today. Um, Pastor Randy, he's having some vacation time, so he's spending time with family uh, as they get out of the Christmas break. So I'm sure that Pastor Randy and Marianne, they're coveting grandkids right now uh, and loving every second of it. Um, But I do want to let you know there's been some great news uh, in the Wood family. So for myself and Megan, at the end of last year, uh, my in-laws made the decision that they were going to relocate to central New York. And a few days before Christmas, uh, they pulled into town. So that's been a wonderful thing. Myself and Megan are loving having them here with us. Uh, And I know that the kids are just going absolutely wild with it. Um, So it's great having them. But I need to ask you guys to do me a favor. Um, Don't tell them about the snow or the taxes. (laughs) So far, we've got away with it, but we could ruin a good thing. Um, But as Luke mentioned in the video, uh, we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks looking at passion and growth, uh, and I'm going to let you know that this is right about probably the, um, if not the most favorite topic, certainly one of uh, the most favorite topics that I could talk about, about being passionate about our faith, about being, uh, you know, passionate in the things of God, passionate in our pursuit of the kingdom, passionate in how we're growing in our relationship with Him. And so we're going to look at passion today, and next week we're going to look at growth, and and they really feed each other. Um, So passion and growth, as we'll look at next week, they really do impact, influence, uh, and they do have a knock-on effect with each other. So today we're going to spend some time and look at passion, and I'll let you know that uh, if one of you were to ever say to me, um, Tom, you are passionate for God, you are passionate for what Jesus is doing, you are passionate for the church, I'll let you know right now, that's right about the best compliment you could ever give me. If you were to say, Tom, you are passionate about the things of the kingdom, you are passionate about God, you're passionate about faith, that would mean so much to me because it would mean that what I want my life to be about and what you're able to observe about my life match up. It would mean that what I want my life to be about, I want my life to be about my pursuit of my faith and about growing in my faith and about being passionate about it and being on fire for God. This is what I want my life to be about. And if other people are able to observe that in my life, that is just about the best compliment you can give me. It's also a great compliment to pay a church. If Word of Life became known as a church around town and in this community as being a church where there are passionate people, they're a passionate church. It's filled with passionate believers that are growing in their faith, that are passionate in the pursuit of God, that are passionate in what He's up to. That is a great reputation for our church to have. And this idea about being passionate in faith, it runs consistently through the Bible. It's passion that gave Joseph hope as he was in jail. It was passion that kept the Israelites going around the walls of Jericho for seven days. It's passion that meant David was able to write so many of the Psalms. It's passion that gave Daniel's friends the confidence to stand up against an evil king and say, no matter what, we are staying faithful to God. It is passion that fueled Nehemiah to go and rebuild the temple. It's passion that caused the disciples of Jesus to leave everything and follow him. It was passion that gave Paul the ability to write letters that we have in the New Testament that have changed the world. And it was passion that gave the apostles the ability to sing when they were in jail. This passion is throughout all of the Bible. And ironically, if you search for the word passion in the Bible, so I know that I use um, a number of websites to sort of do Bible searches. Bible Gateway is a great one. I also have the Bible app on my phone. If you typed in the word passion, what you would get back is, is ironically uh, the wrong kind of passion. 
And there are two, I would say, enemies of living a passionate life of faith, two that I've certainly observed over and over again. One is the wrong type of passion that you'll find if you search passion in your Bible. But the other is apathy and casual and just kind of sorta and Sunday only and when it's convenient and when everything's going well. And that is what I see far more common. It happens, and I don't want to pretend it doesn't, You see people that will run abandoning the faith, like passionately running away from God that were once on fire for him, that they just, they're now actively doing whatever they can to get away from him. You see it, it happens, but it's far more common that people drift. It's it's far more common. I've seen it far much more in ministry. I also see it far much more in the Bible that you don't have people that are just deciding one day, you know what, I'm done with this God thing. I hate God. I hate the church. I hate what he is about. I'm out of here. It happens, but it's far much more common where people just start getting cold and people just start drifting. And one step at a time, they get further away from God instead of closer to him. And I believe that we're stepping into a time where the church You and I are going to be more passionate about what he's doing, what he's about, what the Lord is doing in our midst than ever before. I believe that the reputation that our church is going to have is that of a passionate church that is passionate about what God is doing. We are not going to have a reputation of just drifting from faith. We're going to have a reputation and we're going to be known for being passionate about the things of God. Are you with me? If so, give a solid amen. And this is why uh, I've said this repeatedly. If you've been around the church for uh, any number of months now since uh, my family and I got here, you will have heard me said, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. Uh, You very likely heard me say that possibly even multiple times. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then the only logical response is to follow him with everything. Now, people that don't believe that, having a casual attitude towards the church, having an apathetic approach to the church, even being angry at church, that makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is that if people believe this, they believe the message of Jesus, they believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and yet to respond to that message casually, kind of, sort of, maybe kind of sometimes when I feel good, I, I cannot pretend that that makes any sense to me at all. When I think on just the very simple fact that the creator of the universe, we sung that incredible song, So Will I. It was an incredible song. I love it. It was so powerful this morning as we sung that song. And it talks about the majesty of God. It talks about God as the creator that was able to breathe life into the world, that was able to to, to create everything, the stars in the sky, all the incredible language that go into the lyrics of that song, presenting God as the creator of the universe. And then I think to myself that God thinks about me at all is mind-blowing. That the creator of the universe, the one that put the stars in the sky, the one that decided just how big the Grand Canyon needed to be, he thinks about me at all is mind-blowing. But he doesn't just think about you and I. He loves us in such an indescribable way that the cross will stand testimony for all time of how deep his love is for you and for me. That I don't ever expect to wrap my head around. It is so indescribable that the creator of the universe loves me that deeply The only logical response is to follow him with everything. And this consistent theme that runs throughout the Bible that that we're called to live a passionate life of faith. I want to go through a few verses right now. Firstly, in Matthew 6, 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. 
My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Isaiah 26, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. And this one might just be my favorite. Romans 12, 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And that last verse from the book of Romans just picking out some of those key words that Paul put in there, zeal, fervor, joyful, hope, patient, faithful. Wouldn't it be awesome if that's how people described your faith? Zeal, fervor, joyful, hope, patient, and faithful. I took a few moments this week and I, I looked up and I asked Google what the opposite of those words are. And according to Google, the great Bible scholar, it says indifference, dryness, miserable, pessimistic, anxious. And there's not a single person here today that would say that is how you would want somebody to describe your faith. None of us would want our faith to be described as indifferent or our faith to be described as dry, miserable, pessimistic. That's not how we would want our faith to be described. Instead, we want those words that Paul put out. We want it to be, you know, fervent. We want it to be full of zeal, that it's full of joy and hope and patience and faithfulness. I want to let you know today, and I hope that you're taking notes. It's a helpful habit to get into so you can spend some time this week going back and reviewing, and hopefully there's something here that's helpful. But the first thing I'd ask you to write down is simply this. Passionate faith is normal faith. Passionate faith is normal faith. And we're going to go a few things, and I'm going to start off by giving three things that I believe in my experience and from what I believe we can learn from the scriptures that three things that living a passionate life of faith, the normal kind of faith that passion brings to your life as you live a life following Jesus. And then we're going to look at three things that I believe will help you, uh, you know, how to become passionate. Some three things that I think fuel a passionate life of faith. So the first thing that passion gives is passion gives endurance. Passion gives endurance, a passionate faith. Not a wishy-washy faith, not an apathetic faith, but a passionate faith gives endurance. And Megan and I, we met in Bible college. I've shared this before. We, uh, we both went to Sydney, Australia. Megan left Montana. I left the UK. And we met in Sydney, Australia. And in Bible college, I don't mind sharing with you that there were many, many people that were a lot more gifted than I was. There are people who just, you could just tell they were gifted people, that they had all kinds of stuff. They, were, they just had it going on. They looked like they were going to go on and do great and incredible, wonderful things. And sadly, a lot of those people aren't doing much at all right now. Some are, but unfortunately, there are many people who we would have said 12, 13 years ago when we were in Bible college, this is someone that is going to go on to do incredible things. And sadly, as we kind of look now, as we catch up with old friends, there's a lot of those people really aren't doing too much but you fast forward and I think that, you know, now myself and Megan, we're in ministry years later, that we're able to come and serve the church, that we're able to come and be a part of what God's doing at Word of Life. And the incredible thing is that I honestly believe, and I really do believe this, this is not false humility. I believe the reason that we're able to do this and the reason that, you know, God has been so good to us as we've pursued a life of ministry is we just kept turning up. We, we just kept going. We never took a season off. We never decided to take a back seat. We just kept showing up. Oh, you need someone to help out in youth ministry? We'll help out. Oh, there's church. We'll be at church. We, we just kept going. We just didn't give up. 
And life threw us plenty of curveballs, life threw us plenty of reasons that would have given us a chance to give up, but we just decided we're just going to keep turning up and keep turning up and keep turning up. And now I'm so glad we did because we're able to come and do awesome things like be a part of Word of Life Church. Come on, somebody. But I, I, I truly believe, and I, I really give you my word, this is not false humility. One of the reasons I believe that we're here today and we're doing active ministry and a lot of the people that we went to college with aren't is just because we kept turning up. And um, I, I've shared this before, but my dad, uh, who's probably watching online, love you, dad, so glad you're able to come hang with us. Um, and my dad is an incredible um, you know, Bible scholar. He wouldn't describe himself that way, um, but I definitely would very comfortably. My dad is incredible. He's an expert on biblical things. Um, one of the things my dad does is he speaks uh, pretty fluent New Testament Greek. He'd probably be very uncomfortable with me describing it like that, but it's pretty on the money. And so I took the word for endurance and I emailed it to my dad and I said, hey, you got any gold about this? And asked my dad to kind of share some insights on this Greek word. And to summarize what my dad sent back to me, essentially let me know that uh, the word for endurance, uh, which in my best attempt to pronounce this correctly, hupomone, if I got it wrong, he'll tell me later. But the best definition I could bring out of this is that essentially you've gotten to a place. This is the Greek word for endurance or perseverance or steadfastness. You've gotten to a place and you need to remain there despite the circumstances. So for us, and the way that this word is used in the context of faith, is that God has got us to a place. He's got us to a right relationship with him. He's got us to a life of purpose. He's got us to a life of calling. He's got us to a life where he has plans in front of us. And now we need to stay there. We need to remain. We need to dwell where he's got us, even though that might be a huge challenge. Even though we might have really, really good reasons to give up. The challenge is to stay exactly where we are, and that is passion. Is sticking with God in every season. And this is why passion and excitement are two different things. See, excitement is all about what's happening here and now. Excitement is all about what's happening today. It's dependent on the circumstances, you know, all being good and positive and there being something worth getting excited about. And so that brings out that excitement within us. But it's short term, it's temporal, and it's depending on the status remaining as it is or the status going how we need it to go. Now, there's not a single parent here that would say, my kid is just as excited about their Christmas presents as they were two weeks ago. Excitement is temporary. Excitement is fleeting. Passion cuts through every season. Passion cuts through every season. Passion brings about endurance. Passion is not proven in volume. How loud someone is, how gregarious someone is, how much airtime they take up. That is not the measurement of passion. Passion is not proving an activity, how busy someone is, and how active they are, and how much they turn up, and how much they do. That's not, the, that's not the proof. That is not how passion is proven, but passion is proven in perseverance. Passion cuts through seasons. Passion keeps you going. Passion is an endurance. And the second thing, Second thing passion gives is new priorities. Passion gives new priorities. The default that we have when we come to Jesus will be challenged. What we bring to the cross isn't what we'll take from the cross. Isaiah 58, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. I'm gonna read that again. That's a powerful verse. My thoughts are nothing like 
like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. So it shouldn't surprise us when God's values and our values don't match up. There's a very surface reading of the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew will scream at us that God's values and our values are oftentimes on a different page. But passion, passion will mean that you'll want your values to line up with God's values. Passion for God will mean that your values are up for grabs. As you seek a life of passionately pursuing him, enduring every season, you want God's values to become your values. And that's why a few examples here is that we, we desire and we value peace above being right. We value forgiveness above revenge. We value compassion above selfishness. We value trust over anger. We value kindness over greed. And this attitude of, of, of saying, God, my values, what I value, what I, my idea, what's right and wrong and good and bad, it's all up for grabs. I want it to line up with what you would say and your values because your thoughts aren't like my thoughts. I want my thoughts to become like your thoughts. I want to get my values in line. I want to get my priorities in line. It affects everything. In the book of Philippians, Paul had just got done writing all of his achievements, his accomplishments, the things he was proud of before he met Jesus. All the things that set him apart of being noteworthy among his peers. He got finished writing those and then he writes this, Philippians 3, 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. And Paul isn't alone in this attitude. Paul isn't alone in this approach. The New Testament, as you read, it's filled with story after story of people who are rewiring their values, who are rewiring their entire worldview, who are rewiring their priorities because they've met with the living God and they can't just keep going the way they've always done it. The passion that they have because they have met with the Savior causes them to change everything and reprioritize everything. And this has been the story of the church for 2,000 years. People have had their hearts changed because the love of God. Now, if this is you, if you have had your heart changed, if you have had your priorities realigned, if you have, been, you know, if you have had that approach of God, my attitude, my thoughts, my values, what I care about, it's all up for grabs, and God has changed, can you just do something to let the people around you know on the online chat, can you type amen or something? Come on, if this is you, let someone know because there's some encouragement in here. If God has done a work and a passion for God has transformed your heart, that is no small thing. That is a big deal. The first thing was endurance. The second thing was new priorities. And the third thing is sincerity. Sincerity, a passion for God, a passionate faith will bring and give sincerity to us as believers. Now, people, um, we don't respect hot air. We don't respect hype. But we do start to trust sincerity. We, we don't like just hype, and we don't like empty promises. We don't like flash. There's something skeptical that we have about that. But once we start to believe that someone is trustworthy, that someone is, there's sincerity in their life, there's sincerity in what they're saying, there's sincerity in how they're living, sincerity in their convictions, suddenly we do start to trust and we do start to open up to people. And I was, uh, I, um, I've shared with you before. Uh, we have a nine-year-old son. His name's Elijah. He is a true legend. 
Um, as he's getting older, he's starting to look more and more like me. Um, he's not real thrilled about that, but... Uh, so he is on the autism spectrum. I've told you some of the stories about our experiences with that before. And when we lived in New Jersey, uh, we decided that we were going to sign him up to go to a special needs baseball program. And so uh, I don't mind telling you, we rolled up to the baseball diamond, and whatever organization first pioneered this project, they've done an incredible job. They must have had incredible funding because the baseball diamond they put together and the setup they had was just, it was top draw. It was excellent. So we get there and we get out there, and one of the things that stood out is that they had a ton of volunteers, people that had given up their Saturday morning to go and help these special needs kiddos have a great time at baseball. And so we go and we start to get ready, and uh, you know, it's about time for him to start to go and play, and he's resistant. And one of the groups of people that had come to volunteer that day, um, there was a sorority and there was a fraternity. And I was aware just because of other you know, nonprofit and uh, you know, uh, initiatives I've been a part of before that sororities and fraternities, they have to go and do these service hours to maintain their status within the university. The college puts that requirement on them. I'm sure none of you know that. And so when I saw these sorority girls and I saw these fraternity guys, I just thought, oh gosh, these guys are just here, just checking off a box. These are going to be a nightmare. They're going to get in the way. And then Elijah, um, if you know anything about my son and the, any kids leaders here today and anybody watching online that's from our kids ministry, you'll know if he doesn't want to do something, he, it just doesn't get done. Um, there's no negotiating. There's no coercing. It just doesn't happen. And we got to the baseball ground. It was his time to go up and be a part of the team and go and field. And he just didn't want to go. He wasn't interested. He didn't want to be a part of it. He wasn't interested at all. And then one of the sorority girls came up. And the sorority girls, if I cry, it's okay. But the sorority girls came up, and they got down on his level, and they just said, Elijah, can I tell you why I love this place? She said, my brother has autism. And he used to come here as a kid. And this is where he made friends. This is where he made friends. I think you're gonna love this. Will you come with me? And if you think I'm crying now, you should have seen me then. But he went with her, and shame on me for making that assumption about the sorority girl that she was just there taking off a box when this place meant so much to her. But that act of sincerity, it was, so, it was so pure and so honest that day as she just wanted to help my son have a great Saturday morning. Screamed so much to me. Screamed so much. But that passion, for us, we're talking about the kingdom of God today, we're talking about the things of God, but that passion, it brings a sincerity. A sincerity that builds over time as you keep enduring season after season. A passion that, that, that comes because you've realigned your values, that sincerity that people can see and people can observe because they're able to see the transformation. Over a period of time, they're able to see that your faith and what you say and how you live, they match. You're not saying one thing and living another way, but they're seeing that you're growing, that you're sincere in your faith. I believe that that comes from living a passionate faith. I don't believe that sincerity comes from living a casual faith. I don't believe that sincerity, that you have a, a heart for people, that your heart has a compassion for people, the same heart that God has for people. I don't believe that comes 
by living a casual, wishy-washy, sometimes kind of, sort of, kind of faith. I believe it comes by living a passionate life of faith, and I believe that people are able to deserve it. And there's not a single person here that would point to somebody that made a positive difference in your life, that was a positive role model at some point in your life, and say that person was indifferent. That person was insincere. The people that have made great differences for us, that are milestone people in our lives, that have helped us grow, whether it's a coach on a team or a teacher or a youth pastor or somebody that's been in your life that has had a positive impact, I don't think there's anybody that would say, yeah, that person was insincere. Sincerity would be one of the ways we would describe the people that have helped us the most. And I believe for us as believers, that comes by being passionate. Endurance, new priorities, and sincerity. I want to go on, I want to say three ways that I believe that we can build passion in our lives. Three ways that we can build a passionate faith and make sure that we don't drift into apathy, drift into being casual in our faith. So three ways. The first thing is reflect and remember. Reflect and remember. Hebrews 2.1. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. We've already talked about drifting today. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we're hearing for the first time. It's not what it says. Listen carefully to the truth we have heard. The truth we heard once, we're going to hear it again, and we need to listen carefully. The truth about who Jesus is that we've heard, we're going to hear it again, and we're going to listen carefully. Why? So we don't drift. Never forget how much you desperately need the grace of God. And in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, so take it for whatever it's worth, but in my opinion, this is the greatest challenge that the church in America faces today, is Christians forgetting how much they desperately need a savior. Desperately need a savior. They don't need a buddy. They don't need someone to do them a solid. They don't need someone to help them out. We desperately need a savior. And God gave us one, and we desperately need him, and it is worthwhile and appropriate and right that we pursue him and follow him and live for him with absolutely everything. Don't forget how much you desperately need the grace, forgiveness, and love of God. It's not we kind of need it. We're desperate need of a savior. A very famous story in the Bible, many of you will know it very well, about the prodigal son. And we're going to read a few verses from that story in just a moment from Luke 15. But the story of the prodigal son, if you're not aware, it's Jesus telling a story to try and help bring understanding about what it means to to live pursuing God, live in the kingdom of God, live a part of what God is doing. And he tells a story about a son who goes to his father and says, I want my inheritance now. The father gives it to him. The son takes the money, goes off, does a whole bunch of crazy stuff, wakes up one morning in a pigsty, um, just a quick side note, um, just remind yourself how much the Jewish people were absolutely abhorrent towards pigs, pork, and swine, and here he is in the pig pen eating the same food as the pigs. This kid is at the highest point of disgrace he's ever going to know. Now keep in mind that when he goes to the father and says, I want my inheritance now, that is a, a very clear way of saying, I want to live as if you were dead. Give me my inheritance now, and then I'm going to leave with it. I'm not getting the inheritance now and sticking around. I'm taking and running. I want to live as if you were dead. 
The father having to give over what would have been about one-third of his property to the son would have been known publicly, so this disgrace is not something that they kept quiet within the family. This disgrace was known publicly, and this came at a massive financial cost to the father. But the son, when he's in the pigsty, having this all gone sideways, he says, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he's hoping to go home and in an act of grace, have the father allow him to be a servant. That's what he's hoping is that I'm just hoping I don't deserve to go home. And say, Dad, will you please let me be one of your servants? But that's what he's hoping for. He's hoping to find grace. He's hoping to find forgiveness and love in a way he doesn't deserve by being a servant. But he gets far much more than he bargained for because grace is nothing about what you deserve. It's about how much God loves you. Luke 15, 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son that had declared publicly, I want you dead. He ran and loved him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. So the party began. When you're begging to be a servant, God says, I have so much more for you. But if we forget that we don't even deserve to be a servant... We won't be passionate about the fact that God calls us son and daughter. Never ever forget how much we desperately need the love, forgiveness, and grace of God. Second thing, second thing that I I believe will help to build a life of passion is to have big expectations. Have big expectations. And what I mean by that is, when you turn up to church, do you expect that God is going to blow your mind? When you open your Bible, if you're reading your Bible on a daily basis, do you open it up and just with, a, with an understanding of God, I believe that you're going to share something with me here. Something's going to jump out of that page that is going to change my life today. Do you have that big expectation? When you pray, whether it's by yourself or whether it's in the car or whether you're surrounded by people, when you pray, do you have this approach of, you know, I'm believing that God is hearing my cry of my heart. He, he, is, he is listening intently to what I have to say. Do you have a big expectation that God is able to break through? God is able to answer prayer. God is able to come through in a way that we never, ever could. Do you come to him with a big expectation? And I want to say, uh, when we were in Bible college, One of the things they told us is that uh, if you want to hear a good sermon, be a good listener. Be a good listener. If you come ready to eat, you'll get fed. God is not in the business of letting people down. If you come to worship believing this is going to be a time of worship like never before, I believe he will not let us down. The book of James, come close to God and God will come close to you. Turn up to church ready to go and God's going to turn up ready to rock your socks off. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Third thing, tell your story. 
tell your story. The, uh, there's been a number of studies that have been done. Um, you know, psychologists, sociologists, people that take the time to do these kind of things. They found that uh, the best students are people that when they're learning, they have an expectation that they're going to have to teach someone else what they've learned. Uh, and it's pretty easy to imagine that in a work environment or a school environment where if you believe that you're going to have to teach what you're learning to someone else, you become a better student. Um, you know, I mean, if you're learning something on, you know, at work and your coworker's out sick that day and you're told beforehand you're going to have to tell your coworker tomorrow what you're learning today, you naturally become a better student. Uh, I think that makes sense. But translate that thought and translate that principle to the things of faith. What would happen if every time you open your Bible, you're having an expectation of, you know what, whatever God reveals to me here, people at work might ask me about it. And when you turn up to church and you're like, you know, whatever God's going to do here, whatever he's going to teach me, show me, reveal to me, work in my heart, that's going to be something that the people around me, the people I care about, they're going to want to know about that. God's going to move in a way. He's going to line up circumstances to give me an outlet to be able to share what he's doing in my life right now. How differently would you read the Bible? If you read the Bible on a daily basis, and that's a great habit to get into, and you honestly thought to yourself, you know what, whatever God shows me here, there's going to be an opportunity for me to tell this to someone else. I don't know about you, but I'd read my Bible differently. If I turned up to church and I thought, man, whatever, you know, whatever that British guy's yakking about today, it's actually going to be something I'm going to be able to relate to someone else. It would change how I would pay attention in church. But if you have that expectation, you know what, God is going to use me to tell my story, to talk about what he's doing in my life. And let me just say, this doesn't have to be weird. People asking, if you have a passionate life of faith, and your passion means that you're enduring any season, your passion means that you're living up to your values, and your values are changing to become more and more like the person God made you to be. And this passion that you have, it's bringing out a sincerity in your character and a sincerity in the person that you are. If that's what God is doing in your life, you best believe people are going to ask you about it. And Peter says this, that if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. If someone asks you, why are you so passionate about God? Why, how is it that God is able to carry you through every season? How is it that your faith endures all that life throws at you? How is it that you're not the same person you were two years ago because your values have started to line up and you know, your life, your entire countenance has changed? How is it, you know, I believe you because I've watched you. I've seen that this isn't just a, something flighty for you, but this is something sincere that's in your life. How, you best believe people are going to ask about that. But it doesn't have to be weird. The number one fear in America today is a fear of public speaking, uh, which by my estimation means that pastors are the bravest people in America. <laughs> this doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be uncomfortable. This is very natural as you're getting close to people, as you're having relationships with the people around you, for people to start asking about the things that you're passionate about. For people to want, it is very, very natural. And just like Peter said, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. What if you had that verse in mind every time you approached your prayer time, you approached time of worship, you approached uh, listening to a message, listening to a podcast, watching a preacher online, coming to church on a Sunday, being a part of your life group, serving on a team, whether it's reading your Bible for yourself, reading a Christian book, whatever it is, you had this approach of maybe someone is going to ask me about my hope as a believer. It will change how you learn as a student by thinking thinking that God is going to use you as a teacher. A verse in Proverbs, this is from the Amplified Bible. 
The fruit of the consistently righteous is a tree of life. And he who is wise captures and wins souls for God. He gathers them for eternity. A passionate faith is a normal faith. Apathetic, casual, kind of, sort of, makes no sense to me. But a passionate life of faith, enduring any season, a, a passion that will carry you through anything, that will keep you going, a passion that will outlast any season, that will cut through seasons, a passion that will cause you to reprioritize things, to think differently about life, to change your approach and your attitude and your character, to line up with him because his thoughts are far beyond ours. And a passion will cause you to line up with God and it will bring about a sincerity, a passion that brings a sincerity, a depth, and a substance to your faith. And as we take time to reflect and remember on just how much God loves us and how little we deserve and how much he gives, and we approach the things of God, we approach our, our godly things with a big expectation that this isn't just another Sunday, this isn't just another life group, this isn't just another weekend serving on a team, this isn't just another time that I'm opening my Bible, but Lord, this could be the moment where breakthrough comes. This could be a time where your presence fills this room like never before. Can you imagine if we all turned up for worship, ready to go, believing that the worship was gonna be greater than we've ever experienced? I don't think God would let us down because he comes close to those that come near him. And ready to share our story of how he's worked in our life, his goodness, his faithfulness, his answered prayers, how he's changed your life. I believe these things will feed a life of passion. I've got a couple of questions for you. Hopefully this is helpful. Hopefully it's something that's going to help you as I believe that we're going to be a passionate church filled with passionate members that are passionate about who God is and what he's up to. The first question I'd ask is what's something that you need to make sure you never forget? What's something that you need to make sure you never forget? Is it the time that God worked together a circumstance and answered a prayer? Is it a time when God came through in what could only be described as a miracle when you needed a miracle? Is it your story about how your life was before you met Jesus, how it may be filled with dysfunction and addiction, and then you met Jesus and things started to change? Maybe you were a Christian, but you fell into some stuff that you needed to break free from, and you broke free. What is that, what is that thing that you can't forget? Because if you remember it, it will spur and encourage and continue to prompt a great life of faith, and passion will be at the corner of it. What's something you need to make sure you never forget? And second question, what are your expectations? Tuesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Thursday lunchtime, you open the Bible, you're spending time praying. You've got half an eye on the life groups that are coming up in a few months. Whatever it is, is your expectation of, oh, here we go again, or is your expectation of, God, you could do something incredible in this moment? When you come to church next weekend, are you gonna come and think to yourself, okay, well, let's hope we have another great worship set. I hope they do the song that I like. Or is it, God, I just know, when I lock arms with my fellow believers, not literally because of COVID, but when I lock arms with fellow believers and we stand together and we worship and we praise and we lift you up and we elevate you above our circumstance and we declare your goodness together, I just know that your presence is gonna rock this place. It is gonna be tangible. It is gonna be thick. It is gonna be life-transforming. If we all came next week with that expectation, I don't know, Luke, we might be here until three, four o'clock. 
I spent a number of years in youth ministry. And one of the highlights of youth ministry, and I would guess that most youth pastors uh, would say this, is being able to go to camp. There's something really incredible about taking a group of teenagers uh, and isolating them from all the distractions and all the stuff. Um, And if you're lucky, you might even get some time where they put their cell phone down. But you get them away and you encourage them to focus on what really matters. Focus on eternal things. Focus on God. And incredible things happen. I mean, really, remarkable things happen. God breaks through barriers. As, as, as students, as their eyes aren't trying to, you know, dot around a million places, but they're just focused on Him, incredible things happen. But what I found over my time of taking students to go to camps and get away and retreats and different things is that God would do remarkable things, like really incredible things, incredible breakthroughs, very, very powerful stuff. And somehow, from moment where this happened and the journey home it's all undone I mean it reminds me of the Israelites they crossed the Red Sea the Lord God Almighty like split an ocean in two and in less than a month they were acting as if it never happened and I saw it happens with students and it got to the point where I would tell them like day one God's gonna do good stuff this week you need to make sure This doesn't just stay here, but this changes your life and you bring it home with you. And one of the things that I would share with them is that if you've ever, at any point, had an encounter with God where you would say, you know what, I know that I know in the depths of my heart that God is for real, that He loves me, that He sent His Son to pay a price on a cross that I could never ever pay, and that He has a life and a plan and a purpose in front of me that I could never ever dream of. If you've ever, got to the point where if you've ever had a moment where you've believed that, if it's true, then it has to be true forever. Because Jesus can't temporarily be the Savior of the world. If Jesus is the Savior of the world, then He's the Savior of the world now, and He's going to be the Savior of the world forever. It cannot be just in a moment. And that same challenge that I would lay down to students, I would lay to you today. If you've ever at any point in your life, come to a moment where you've believed in the depths of your heart, maybe in a way that you could never explain, for reasons you can't explain, but you just know that God is for real, that He loves you, that He sent His Son to pay a price on the cross for you, that you can have eternal life confident that He is who He says He is. If you've ever had that belief and it was true then, it has to be true now. It cannot just be true then. It has to be true now. So maybe this year, This is a year where you decide, you know what? I'm not gonna be casual in faith anymore. I'm gonna go for it. I'm gonna live a passionate life of faith. And I invite everyone here, if you'd stand with me, if you're able. I'm gonna pray in just a moment. But if you're here and you wanna live a passionate life of faith, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that God's going to start stirring something in your heart. And as you start pursuing Him, I believe something's going to feel different. If you be honest enough and say that you've been apathetic in faith, I believe that God's going to start cutting through that and some fire's going to start coming back. I believe sincerity's coming back. I believe endurance is coming back. I believe new priorities is coming back. As we focus on Him, as we set our mind on Him, as we have big expectations, as we share our story, I believe we're gonna be a passionate church.
So if this is prayer is for you, if you want to start living a passionate life of faith, you can do something outwardly, something external. You can raise a hand. You can do something. But I don't want to make this weird, strange, or uncomfortable. But if this is for you, I want you to make a decision in your mind. This is for me. So Lord, for every single believer here that would say they want to live a passionate life of faith, pursuing you with everything, not holding back, not drifting from faith, not running from you anymore, but they want to be passionate about the things of the kingdom. They want to be passionate about what you're doing, passionate about how you're changing lives, passionate about your plans for this church, passionate about all the things you have in front of them, passionate that you're able to bring freedom and breakthrough in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that as decisions are made right now in this place, as people are making a decision in their heart of hearts, the Lord, you will honor that decision. You will see that decision. And the Lord, you'll reveal yourself into ways that we could never imagine that your goodness and your love would flow. And as we keep remembering, Lord, how good you've been to us, how much you love us, no matter how much we don't deserve it, our hearts would change and shift and we would be on fire for you like never before. In Jesus' incredible name, come on, amen, amen. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to, if you wouldn't mind, just please stay standing for a moment. But you may be here right now and I don't know your story. I don't know what's happened in your life to get you to the point that brought you to church this morning, but you're here and you're here on this Sunday, listening to this message, singing these worship songs. And maybe just maybe you came in unsure about who God was or unsure about what it looks like to follow Him, but something from today, whether it was one of the worship songs we sang or some of the Bible verses I read or something has got you to the point where you're ready to say, you know what, I believe in God. I believe this is for real. I believe God loves me. I believe He sent His Son to die for me on a cross. I believe He rose from the grave three days later, conquering the power of sin and death once and for all. And you've come to that point of believing that. And if that's you, my friend, you are flat out of excuses for waiting another day for making the decision to follow Jesus. This is the best moment that you can make that life-changing decision. 17 years ago, I made that decision. I made the decision that I was gonna follow Jesus. And it is easily the best decision I've ever made. In those 17 years, there've been ups, there's been downs, but I have never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. And we're gonna pray in just a moment and I'd love to give you the opportunity to make that decision today. And we're gonna pray for you as a church family. So I wanna ask everyone here just to close your eyes, bow your heads, just give some discretion to those around you so that we can focus on what really matters right now. But if you would say, you know what? I believe. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And I'm ready to make that decision to follow him. I'd love to pray for you. And we're not going to do anything to embarrass you. We're not going to do anything strange or unusual. When we pray in a moment, I'd love to know who we're praying for. So if this is you, if you want to be prayed for today, as someone that's making that decision for the first time, if you can just put your hand in the air, I'd love to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Online, if this is you, just click that button that says, I raise my hand. For anyone else here today, they're saying, Tom, when you pray, pray for me. Amen, thank you. Amen. Anybody else here? I don't wanna rush this moment. If this is you, I'd love to pray for you. Anyone else that's brave enough to say, Tom, I'm ready to start living for God. I'm ready to get my faith where it needs to be. Amen. Amen. Come on, Word of Life Church, in person and online, let's celebrate. 
people finding God in here today. We're going to pray a prayer together and the words are going to be on the screen. I'll say a line and then if you repeat it back, and I want to invite everyone here, whether you put your hand up or not, I want you to pray this with passion, believing that a prayer like this is the power to change someone's life. So come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate. That's some good news. A word of life, I hope that was something helpful for you. Hopefully something that's going to set you up to truly live a life of passion as we pursue Jesus online. I hope that was helpful for you. But why don't we go ahead, let's welcome Megan and Aaron as they come and tell us what some next steps might be. Thank you, Tom.